This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my very, very expensive co-host, Jon. Hello, Jon. I'm not expensive. I'm, uh, what's the call? What's the name? Unmeasurable. <laughs> <laughs> You're certainly something. <laughs> oh, I'm always happy to be joined by my so gra- gracious and complimenting co-host. Makes my day, well, you know. <laughs> if if this was a misunderstanding enough for you already, <laughs> we're on the second of, of four misunderstandings around uh, open source enterprise software. And this misunderstanding uh, is titled, Cost is the most important decision factor in the do-it-yourself approach. And we had a little bit of a debate before we started recording this because we couldn't decide whether we agreed with this or whether we disagreed with this. We couldn't even agree on what it actually meant. Well, yeah, which is why we couldn't agree, couldn't agree whether we agreed or disagreed. So already misunderstandings on top of misunderstandings. But I think what it meant to say, (laughs) what what we think it means to say. Yeah. Is that, um, it's talking about like the, the price tag of some software or the you know, the, the the price of software, um, uh, enterprise open source software, uh, being the most important decision factor, and that that is not the case. And the reason uh, for that is because you're not just comparing, um, you know, something that is free, as in, uh, you know. Or you are comparing, I guess, something with this free as in speech versus uh, something or free as in speech rather than free as in no free as in. Oh dear, it's just it's been a long day. Um, free as in speech, not free as in beer, or free well, as in. Actually, that's how beer. people should look at it. But I still think a lot of people com- confuse mm, intentionally open source with free as in beer because the if you talk about open source you're talking about mentality culture and all that good stuff uh contribution contribution but most people want open source software because they don't have to pay money for it and i'm guilty i mean if i look at the podcast what we use for this stuff uh, i use a lot of open source software because being a small little podcast with not many revenue streams we don't (laughs) have much money to pay commercial software so yeah. that's why I, I'm not using things like uh, the Adobe stuff because that would be totally bonkers. Uh, I'm not using, yeah, I'm not going to mention names, doesn't really matter. But in this case, for this misunderstanding, I, I do think we have to look at the cost as the free in beer cost because do it yourself with open source is free in monetary values mm. versus paying for. You know, uh, CRM software, or whatever, from a big company, which m- might have other advantages, I guess, because that's what the misunderstanding is. That cost shouldn't be the that cost is the thing you should differentiate upon. Yeah, and uh, there's there's a few different kind of considerations with this. I think so. Some some organisations, for example, the enterprise offering may well be identical to the open source offering. Um, with other organizations, the enterprise offering may have 
additional bells, whistles, features, functionality uh, that is only available in the enterprise offering. Hmm. So you know, in, in some cases, you're even not making a straight sort of one-to-one -one sort of comparison between um, two different uh, products that you may use. But the when it when this is talking about uh, about cost and you know when we were debating this initially, I think you can you can make cost the most important decision factor in your in deciding on your approach, but it needs to be the the the, the fully stacked cost. It needs to be not just the cost of of software and presumably you know, hardware or cloud services to run it on, but it needs to be you know what's the cost of of the people that you would need to maintain that, what's the cost of uh, potentially having to build additional features maybe that come with an enterprise version that you need, what's the cost of then supporting those features, what's the cost to the business if you're dedicating all of these people to working on all of this stuff instead of you know, maybe working on whatever your your company's core competence or core product or core direction or core value is all about. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of you know what's the cost of um, retaining all of those potentially quite specialized people. Um, what's the cost if one of those people leaves and all of a sudden you need to then go and hire. Um, uh, an, another person with that specialized knowledge. Uh, what's the cost of, of downtime because you don't have support contracts? And, like, there's lots of things that you could fo you could fold into a a fully ramped cost plan. And I think this is the sort of thing that often organizations like just don't like they they may factor one or two or three of these items in. But probably not all of them. And I think this is one of the things that kind of sales teams um, for these kind of vendors usually spend a decent amount of time with working with organizations to help them understand what the fully ramped cost is of these things. Yeah, and if you do that, of course, the do-it-yourself approach becomes more costly than you might first have uh, imagined because if you add this software cost, which might be zero, and add on that all of the implementation effort, people payments, all that, that inflates your do-it-yourself cost ticket uh, price uh, a lot and probably will be more expensive, uh, potentially, I'm say probably, potentially be more expensive than buying it of the, getting the enterprise version of it. However, there's also the benefits part, and you've mentioned a lot of costs things could be added, but there's also a benefit or lack of benefit by not doing it yourself. Having, uh, you said one of the examples you gave was uh, the uh, experts leaving the company and you having to kind of uh, hire a very expensive replacement for them. Well, if you don't do anything in-house, your experts will leave more quickly because they don't feel they can be creative enough in their environment. So by going enterprise and not DIY, you're actually generating that cost for yourself, which you wouldn't do if you did a DIY. By building it do-it-yourself, you get a lot more insight, a lot more control over what you're doing, which means that you should potentially probably be able to differentiate more 
against your competition. Now, this is valid for certain pieces of software. I mean, your bookkeeping software doesn't really have to differentiate that much, and except if you're a financial institution, of course. Um, but that's definitely something. If we all use the same software, do the same thing, well, then all breads will be the same size, same taste, same consistency, which is a problem. Um, Culturally-wise, by doing creating stuff yourself, you're able to position yourself in the marketplace and become a brand with more recognition than otherwise might be possible because you are making things, doing things. I mean, there's a reason we look at uh, the Googles, the, 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 the Ubers, the, the, the Twitters and so on because they release mm -hmm. open source projects because they build it themselves and they... Maybe chicken and the egg, I don't know, I don't know what came first, the, the fact that Google became so big and then started uh, publishing stuff. I think more they started publishing stuff that gave them a reputation that made people, oh, I need something, let's see if Google has this. Mm. And those are all benefits that are maybe not as easily quantifiable in monetary values, but definitely have some there. And if you just go with the off-the-shelf uh, enterprise thing and do it as it's supposed to be done, Sure, your time to market will probably be a lot faster because there's a lot less hassle to get it completely installed, deployed, uh, configured as you wanted to, but you do miss out on a lot of stuff as well. Surely this is uh, this is something that like every organisation that needs to evaluate, you know, the the sort of the benefit. In, in some way, shape or form of, of making that additional overhead or investment or, you know, call it whatever you want. And it's going to be quite different for each different piece of technology. Yeah. So, you know, in your, your example, like if you're t talking about uh, Joe's Widget Company, for example, um, you know, I they're probably, uh, love me some widgets, they're probably not going to build their own, as you said, like bookkeeping or accounting software. They're probably going to consume that off the off the shelf but you know maybe they have some sort of particularly um fancy way of uh of um you know designing these widgets in a a way that's fully automated and maybe that does differentiate them from other widget companies because they have they've designed this piece of software in-house um you know it, it's able to produce things more efficiently or quickly or who knows what but most organizations, most kind of, I mean, to, to try and generalize across enterprise organizations is already very difficult. But <laughs> if, we, if we were to attempt it, I would say that most enterprise organizations are more on the buying things end of the spectrum and less on the um, creating new software new technology side of things like it's not that it doesn't happen it definitely does but over the years i've talked to multiple large-scale enterprise organizations who wanted to go down this path uh, wanted to you know release something open source that they'd created in-house and you know, did see this as a great way of differentiating themselves from others, um, making other people aware of them, using it as a recruiting tool, um, and all of these kinds of other things. 
But open source is really, really difficult. Like getting it right ah. is incredibly hard. And a big, big part of that is building a community. And that's almost nothing to do with the software. And that is where a lot of a lot of enterprises that have attempted this have failed and fallen by the wayside. They may have had really good, really fun software. They may have had like a real niche that was really interesting, uh, genuinely really interesting. But you can't just kind of release these, or very rarely, I would say, can you just release these things out into the world if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. More often than not, you need to work really, really hard to build a community of users, developers, contributors, committers around an open source project. And most enterprises just aren't set up for that really, really difficult groundwork. Yeah, you know, you're talking from the point of view of the open source projects publishing part, right? Not the consumer who consume it in a mm. DIY fashion. And I just like to add one extra thing there that a lot of the ones that fail actually do it for the wrong reasons, because you have seen a little less lately, I think, maybe I'm just not seeing them, but there has been a time where a lot of these new open source projects kind of came from a failed background. They tried something commercial, didn't get adoption. Let's open source it. Now it's going to be successful. And <laughs> that's of course not how that works. I uh, haven't, haven't seen that many happening recently, to be honest. So I think uh, people have learned that that just doesn't work. Uh, but again, you're looking at it from the uh, software publishing part. Coming back to the consumption part, me using mm. uh, either enterprise or making it myself, I think there's also a big part of uh, risk aversion on companies these days. Because if you're going to buy something off the shelf, it's a known quantity. You know what it's going to cost. It's going to be a lump sum or every mm. year this amount of money and you'll get this benefit and it'll do that thing and you'll have support. And it's predictable uh, in the CapEx, OPEX world. It's able, you can, the, the accountant, the CTO can put a number, uh, CFO, sorry, can put a number on there and it's very predictable. And in the world of today, still predictability is king. If you look at the stock market, the big companies that continue to rise all the time, they're the ones that are the most predictable. It actually doesn't matter if you make a loss or a profit, as long as you deliver what you, what the analysts expect you to deliver. If you're going to go to do a DIY way, you are introducing a lot of maybes, a lot of uncertainties in the environment. Because again, that expert might leave and now who's going to pick it up? Mm. You might develop extra stuff on top of it, extra glue code, extra functionality that needs to be supported somewhere. You might write bugs in there. Will this concoction of multiple projects you're putting together yourself in a DIY fashion, depending on how mature as a company you are, you will either do a very good job and take more time, but you can understand more time is a good investment here, or do it quick, 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 and it'll run, but very iffy. And that goes into the un insecurity thing. And it's not uh, a, a maybe, it's a definitely. And it's not also it's also not a part of being a small or big company because even the big hyperscalers, from time to time, these big clouds fall over. The domino effects have happened and will happen again. So it's just the complexity of the environment and the DIY environment will be more complex, more fragile perhaps, unless you have very good uh, structure in place. Again, 
risk risk aversion may be i think a big reason why you want to pay a lot more for commercial or enterprise open software than to go the diy way personally i think it's sad because the benefit of that creativity the benefit of that knowledge you gain should always be better i mean I, i've learned the the growth mindset thing and i think this also applies to the to this kind of stuff where it's good to make mistakes as long as you do diligence and make sure that you don't make them just by carelessness obviously but trying something new and maybe not working out you still learn something more mm. and i think also in these days open source has become so ingrained that people are a bit more understanding of it that it's not that black and white success fail but more of a okay to try that it didn't work come back if you do something again come back we'll look at it again it's not because that thing failed we're never going to talk to you again while in a commercial world i think that is definitely the case if uh, a big database company for example would have a thing that destroys data everywhere they've built their branding on predictability basically and if that then doesn't happen you will probably not go back to that company again and that's how hardware companies for example in computer space have disappeared completely because they had a bad run of a certain model of whatever they were building and they never recover from that in the open source world eh, there's a bit more acceptance perhaps maybe maybe i mean the that's they saying no the concepts around like failing fast, I think, are becoming more and more commonly adopted and becoming a lot more a lot more acceptable for people to try out experiments. And if if it works out, great, like let's focus, let's pour some more time, pour some more investment into it. And if it doesn't work out, well, okay, let's go and try something else then. I think this is where this is where sort of I see a lot of this happening where, you know, someone often we talk about the power of defaults, like the power of, mm -hmm. um, you know, using a default, um, that gets bundled with something. So like if you're, uh, if you're using Kubernetes, then you'll probably, you'll probably start off at least using Prometheus for your metrics because it just generally comes bundled. It's the thing that people get started with. Now, that doesn't mean that you will always use that, but maybe you will like it. Maybe you'll enjoy it. And then maybe you'll find it's really, really great. But then maybe you'll also get to the point where, oh, I'm actually spending a lot of time feeding, watering, keep this thing, keeping this thing running. Like maybe I, maybe I don't want to uh, actually run this myself. Like I like everything about it. I just don't really want to feed water, maintain, et cetera. It. And this is where you, know, you were talking about the, the creativity and the, the sort of the, the builder runner operator sort of, uh, persona, like those people, I just love tinkering with these kind of platforms, tinkering, tuning, um, and, and kind of fettling them till they, till they sort of perform at their optimum and continually kind of doing that and other people aren't kind of wired that way. Other people would mm -hmm. rather kind of do all the, the exciting kind of discovery and figuring out that these things work. And once they figured out that, oh yeah, this thing works, we just need it now at, you know, 10 X the scale of that. They're like, yeah, that's a, 
that's not as much of an exciting problem to go and fix. Like we can just pay a vendor to go and do that for us, and I'll go on to the new, yeah. the next new exciting kind of discovery sort of project. So it's, I think it's a different. Like each individual will have a different experience with this kind of journey. Some people will enjoy some parts of it. Some people will enjoy other parts of it, and some organisations will put more focus on one part of it than another. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, one thing I would add to the conversation, maybe to round it off a little bit, is mm -hmm. if you're going to go to do-it-yourself approach, start small. If you're going to go to the whole digital transformation thing and your digital transformation is going from off-the-shelf to do-it-yourself, that's a five-year, ten-year plan. Don't think you're going to do it in a month's time. Don't just download a bunch of stuff and start deploying it because that's going to crash. If you don't have the time space available, then think twice about DIY because it should be done by learning how to do this and mm -hmm. with the whole uh, start, uh, fail fast, make sure you do yeah. incremental thingies and fails, okay, we do something else. So you can, you never have a stop or a total chaotic end of your end of life of your entire company by going that yeah. stuff. Make sure you I, do it like that. I would say actually not just start small, but start low risk as well. Like don't yeah. don't start with the most important, like ah. even if it's small, like the most important project for the future of the your organization. Like that's probably not, like don't start in an environment where like you can't make a mistake or the company's going to go down the tubes. That's not a good way to, to begin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, make sure make sure you start with something small, something relatively low risk. Like it still needs to be important, otherwise yeah. it's just a science project and it'll never have enough uh, focus to be worth doing and it'll just be a waste of your time. You'll come around to your your sort of review and like, what were you working on? I was working on this thing. Ah, that's useless. <laughs> what a waste of time. It's not the kind of conversation you want to be having. So it's uh like this is definitely um it's definitely a complicated sort of equation and i think you know looping it all the way back to the uh the misunderstanding it's definitely not all about just the price tag that you'll pay to an enterprise vendor i think it's the least important thing i mean the price is the least important thing going diy should be a a cultural step a idea of having we want to educate people internally we want to make make experts not buy experts we want to mm. cre be creative that should be basically if it's not part of your core tenants of as a company that's a bigger choice than the price ticket indeed and with that unless you have anything else to add nothing else from me then that was misconception number two join us again next week for misconception number well Three, I guess. Might be misconcepted there. <laughs> but that's all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast. You can become a patron. Contributions do help us. Thank you, patrons. We love you very much. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, make Dave happy. You can go to www.roaringelf.org. There's links to the Patreon page, YouTube page, and all information about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send feedback by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I shouldn't talk so fast, Jon. <laughs> my name is, there's, there's still a price tag attached, Dave. And we look forward to talking to you about all the misconceptions next week. Goodbye. See you then.